Hey, church family, I want to tell you about an incredible discipleship resource that we have available for you right now, Jude Kept for Jesus Christ, the 40-day devotional by our very own Pastor Ryan Britt. As you know, we're getting ready to head into this two-week series through the book of Jude, and this devotional will not only be a great companion for that series, but it will guide you through the rest of 2022, and we're asking God that he would deepen your faith through this. If you want to get a copy, you can download it for free right now at coe22.com slash Jude, or you can purchase a physical copy just like this one by going to that same website or at any of our campuses around Jacksonville. Our prayer for you in this season is that you would grow to love Jesus more as we study the book of Jude. Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, gentlemen, we're back. Week two of the Jude series. Uh, as, we, as we dive in here, what's something that you're thankful for during this season? I am. I'm really thankful for the season of life that I'm in with my kids. It's like pretty aware with their ages, mm-hmm. uh, 12 and 9, and I'm pretty aware of this ain't going to last forever, and they still want to be around us, and we're still having a lot of fun as a family. And, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just really thankful for any period of time whereby we just get to hang out together and do the family thing and trying to take it all captive and make memories and all that stuff. Yeah, man, you guys are in the glory days. No driver's license, no diapers. That's right. Enjoy. <laughs> I don't manage that tension of realizing that like the time is limited and you want to make the most of it, but you don't want to... Like, if you focus too much on that, it can be weird, mm. right? Try to make every moment like a Kodak moment or super special, you know what I mean? You'll feel the pressure though, bro. I got one more Thanksgiving in my house as we have known it. Mm. Wow. Seriously, one more, and then it all changes. Mm. Maybe we'll still have Thanksgiving, but it, but everybody won't live there anymore mm. on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. What are you thankful for this season? You preaching Jude for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. <laughs> My pleasure. Very, thank very you, thank thankful you for, for asking. That. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, last week we talked a lot about false teachers, and there was a lot of really awesome Old Testament examples, um, well-known Jewish writings. We dived into that a little bit. Uh, so we're going to jump in uh, to Jude, starting in verse 17. And um, anything you'd, you'd add about uh, that you didn't get to in the sermon before we jump into the verses? No, we'll get to it. All right. Jude uh, picks up, it picks up, you know, right where he left off. One of the things to always remember, we talked about this last week, always remember when studying these letters is that they were letters, mm-hmm. and they didn't have chapters and verses. I mean, Jude doesn't have chapters. It's just, but it wasn't verse 17 mm-hmm. or verse, right. it all is one continued stream of thought connected to the other. Uh, and so picking up where we left off mm-hmm. last week mm-hmm. in verse 17, Jude makes a turn. If last week was about the reality for the need to contend for the faith and a call for spirit-filled Christians who love Jesus to contend for the faith, Mm -hmm. to not only or ever fall into the category of being a consumer of Christianity or Christianity being an idea that you agree with, but we're in a battle against an enemy, God's enemy and enemies. And there is a spirit at work in this world that is anti-Christ and his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And in my own mind, in my family, in culture, in my workplace, anywhere I go as a believer, I am called to contend for this faith. So he calls us to the contention for the faith. And then this week is very much about him unpacking how you do that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we'll, dig into, we'll dig into that. You want to yeah. dive in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about this transition that he makes here is that I noticed it as I was reading it, that the first part is a lot about Old Testament examples. He switches to talking about, as you heard from the apostles, so some New Testament examples, and he says uh, that we're living in the last time. The apostles have testified to Jesus Christ in the last time. So let's get into that a little bit. What's it? 
What does that really mean to be living in the last time? So when you talk about, here's the, here's the image that goes through my, my mind. This is very spiritual. When you, as Jude talks about contend, that would make us contenders. Con, every time I hear the word contender, I think of a boxer, right? Because you're mm-hmm. contending for the title, you're fighting for the title. And as you talk about uh, us being in the fight, here's what I'm afraid of for your average church-going person right now. Mm-hmm. As he talks about here, Jesus is returning. One day the battle's gonna be over, and there's gonna be a whole bunch of Christians that never put the boxing gloves on and got in the ring. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's all these, they see stuff on the news every day, and they're like, somebody should do something about that and that and that and that and that. But it's like there's never a hill worth dying on because mm. we're so consumed in our own comfort and our own busyness and the things right now. And we're so concerned about being nice and not offending. And there is a spirit of the Antichrist at war against us. And I would say the majority of people that call themselves Christians are not contenders with the gloves on going to war for the sake of the gospel. Mm. And it makes me nervous as a pastor of a church. Yeah, That's so much of what the 1010 life is about, the abundant life. Uh, ministries and partnerships and opportunities for the believers to step into. That's why I love the focus of the next two years uh, of our church is to, is in large part to mobilize the saints to get in the game, Mm -hmm. to get in the fight. And I love the way that we study John 10 as we go through this, that the image of Jesus as our shepherd, that there is a, um, depending on your personality, when you hear the fight, like different people respond to that imagery a different way. Um, people wired like you, it's like, let's go, man. Cause just, you know, you, I mean, you're all, you're a frontline guy, man. I'll go first, no problem. And it's one of, one of the reasons we love to follow you. And, and that said, that there's a real gentleness in the contending for the faith, not, not weakness, but meekness in the way that the kingdom walks out the faith as we contend for it in culture, that I love the the way John 10 helps us see that. And because I think that there's like this insane pressure that's that comes from culture and the spirit of the Antichrist for you to do and be great mm-hmm. as a Christian, be known. Mm-hmm. Make yourself, you know what I mean? That somehow we can easily equate a contending for the faith and with the same thing as like what this world calls greatness loud and seen and noticed. When so much of the kingdom working itself out in the world and pushing back darkness is, is done in secret and is not done for credit, not for our credit, does that make sense? And so there's like this really beautiful, we go to it all the time, this really beautiful upside down kingdom. You preached a great sermon on what does the kingdom call greatness in the series, uh, uh, Upside Down Kingdom. But that's one of the things that I want to like, when you choose as a mother to speak life into your children according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to lay hands and pray over them. You are contending for the faith. Mm -hmm. That is not the fullness of what contending for the faith means, but you are contending for the faith. And who will ever see that? Well, I don't know who will ever see or or applaud that for you, but I know this, it matters four generations from now. I can't explain it, Mm -hmm. but what you're, you're planting seeds, kingdom seeds in the hearts of kids for generations does that make sense? And so, but there's not a like, you know, look, oh, does that make sense? Right. And so the, the call to contend is the call to gospel living and kingdom advancing and also defending against the attacks that come in the, in the loud lies of the cultural narrative. It is on the church to represent the truth at whatever cost. So those things all work together. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. One of the things I appreciated so much about your sermon was you gave us handles by which we contend. Cause I think what happens, like if, if I want to point the finger back at me as a leader is that I don't know that we've given our folks clear marching orders on what it looks like to be in the fight. 
does it mean like thrashing people on Twitter? No. No. And if you only see how you're being fought against and you think, well, I don't want to respond that way, therefore I'm not going to fight. Well, half of that is good because we're supposed to respond like Christ. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Mm -hmm. But we are supposed to fight. So a big part of, I mean, Jude just spells out some things that says, if you're going to contend, here's some ways to contend. Mm -hmm. And it's way more what you're talking about. And it just, it makes me think of this very well-known politician that said, not only am I the greatest thing that's ever happened to Christianity, but to religion itself. If you say that, <laughs> you're, you could not be more opposite in that statement. Like mm -hmm. the Bible says that God opposes the proud. That's right. That might be the most prideful thing ever spoken in, mm -hmm. by human lips. And uh, you're not on team Jesus when you're saying that. That's right. That's a really good word because... People probably, many people might hear contend and think it's got to be on a stage or public, but even in obscurity, uh, the fighting for faithfulness really is seen by God. You know, it's honored by Him. I sure. think for some people, it is. There were multiple people this year from our church that ran for public office mm -hmm. and would come to me and, you know, talk to me about it. And, and I would just tell them that what, when, when Mary told the servants in John 2, 5, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Mm -hmm. the, the problem, I think, is when we try to tell people in general what, what one person is to do is what everybody's supposed to mm -hmm. do or that somebody shouldn't do that thing. Man, we, we need people to just walk out the call of God in their life, and we need people contending for the faith in the public square, the private square, in in business, at churches, on stages with microphones, in disciple mm -hmm. groups, in their schools, in their homes, in their neighborhoods. It's just however God has wired you and placed you in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that's not okay, I think, according to Jude, is not getting in the ring, whatever that ring looks like for you, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, is there, There's a name for that. Like the, maybe it's priesthood of the believer, but Christian vocation that we tend to think of, used to be that, you were a serious Christian if you were a missionary, right? Maybe when I, when we were kids, that was more what it was. And these days, because of the way church is, it's, you're a serious Christian if you're on a church staff somewhere. But that's a really dangerous idea for, for sure. your, your every everyday churchgoer to think, oh, I'm just I'm not really in the fight if I'm just you know working my sales job or at home with the kids. You know. Uh, speaking of politics, he says. There's scoffers who cause divisions. And I know he's not talking about political divisions, but we live in a pretty divided time right now. Most people would agree on that. It expresses itself politically. So um, maybe for you, Pastor Joby, how does the church bring a unified, a message of unity in a divided time? Especially when in my experience, most churches who talk about unity weaken theology. Does that make sense? Well, there's a major difference between unity and uniformity. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Jesus talks about unity, that gets preached a lot, but it's totally preached wrong because it's talking about being unified with him. Right. That that's what we're unified. We're unified around the gospel. Mm -hmm. My favorite political statement I've ever heard is by Tony Evans. Dr. Tony Evans says, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, listen, man, the problem, <laughs> if our founders of our country looked at currently what was happening, they would think this is not what we intended. Mm -hmm. The moment that politicians became a full-time career and your number one job was to get you reelected, mm. then you, you cannot primarily be serving people anymore. You are right. primarily trying to get you elected again. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's a real problem there. Mm -hmm. And so this is why this, this is why we contend for the faith, that we stand on the scriptures mm -hmm. and then every Christian is informed by the mm -hmm. scriptures and then engages in the culture. Mm -hmm. That's different than just aligning yourself with a political party mm -hmm. for the sake of that political party. Yeah. It's unity. I, love, I love that. It's unity to Christ, not unity to all, all of us as a big homogenous whole. Yeah, right. unity for the sake of unity is worth. I mean, the Georgia right. Bulldogs are unified in and of themselves that they all wear the same clothes, Go they dogs. cheer for the same team, but all of them that don't know Jesus are going to hell. Mm -hmm. So what? So right. what if you ninety three thousand people mm -hmm. a weekend gather together and sing, "Glory, mm -hmm. glory to old Georgia"? There is unity. Do you think that's what Jesus was talking about mm -hmm. in John seventeen? Right. No, he'd be like, "You idol worshiping people, you're going to hell if you don't know me." Careful. 
Yeah, no. He did pick the right colors, though. The Bible is written in red and black. That's right. It is important to note that in verse 17, where we pick up this week, he he starts with, but you must remember, beloved. And he goes to that word again, which we spent a lot of time on last week. The identity precedes activity. You can't contend for something that is not alive and dominant. You cannot contend well for something that does not dominate your heart, mind, and soul, mm-hmm. which is the identity that has been given you because of Christ mm-hmm. or through from Christ, your identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so he says, remember, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles, which is what you were talking about. We spent a lot of time on the Old Testament prophets and Old Testament examples. Then he goes to the apostles this week and says that the ones who give testimony to the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus, remember that in the last time there will be scoffers. Again, we're not talking just about in dominant culture and in city or state or government mm-hmm. politics. He's talking about inside the church. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly passions. Last week he says they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. This is this. He's saying the same thing different mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. and this idea of ungodly passions, and ultimately what it is 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 the my authority. And when I say authority, what I mean is the thing that make the thing that sits on the seat that has made the decisions that will make the decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I often call these resolutions, the resolutions of the soul, um, that, that there are things in me that decide all other things. That that is what he's saying. There's ungodly passions within me. My authority is in here. Mm-hmm. And Jude's saying your authority is not. That, that is an ungodly way to live. Your authority is the word of the apostles, mm-hmm. the word of God. Mm-hmm. That's, and it is outside of you. And it does an inside-out work, but it comes from the outside. It is an alien righteousness. It is a truth beyond mm-hmm. what I can muster and manage in my own sensuality and feelings and thoughts. And so, um, you know, in, in the sermon, I talk a little bit about spiritual growth, having been following Jesus for a while now, mm-hmm. and that one of the ways I regularly realize that I'm following the God of the Bible versus just the one that I made up with my imaginations and feelings, um, which is what he's saying. He's saying your authority is something you just made up mm-hmm. from a kind of combination of your feelings and your imagination. You put those things together, and now in the church, you're saying that that's God. You're saying this is what God is like. Mm-hmm. This is dangerous. Right. And he says, um, but so anyway, in my own life, just... I regularly realize that I'm wrestling with and hopefully in all things submitting to and learning to submit to the God of the Bible mm-hmm. because I regularly lose arguments to him. Mm-hmm. I don't always get my way. There are many things I come to in the scripture that I'm like, mm-hmm. and then I have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. Do I submit to God's way is better or do I make up a reason why my way is better? Mm-hmm. And I've just learned over time that his way is just better, man. Mm-hmm. And the season I'm in right now, and I, this is a scarce say this because I, I, I could be, it could be a thing of comfort that I have to deal with. But like, as far as I can tell, I think I want to lose arguments to God only and always because mm-hmm. I've just seen, man, his way's better. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get my way. I want his way. I hope. So if you took that, uh, multi-sentence explanation about your identity does not well up from the inside of you based on philosophy or feelings or family of origin or whatever, but is dictated you to you from the outside by the God of the universe. <clears throat> if, you, if you put that in one short pithy statement, that would be the most blasphemous thing you could say against the God of this culture right now. Mm-hmm. That is it. I mean, you want to get canceled? That is Mm -hmm. it right there. To say that your ultimate identity and goal is not for you to be all the fullness of what you decided or felt like on the inside of you for you to be, Mm -hmm. but that your creator got to tell you who you are. I'm telling you, that is the core of what has manifested itself in all kind of craziness that we live in right now. 
Mm. I mean, everything from from things like critical race theory to LGBTQ and all that's going on there to a lack of religious freedom in our country, all of those things come down to the, the fundamental divide is what you're talking about, which is found in here, versus the water that makes up the environment that all the fishes of this culture swim mm-hmm. in is, nah, man, you do you. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's, it started a few hundred years ago with some famous people, mm-hmm. uh, but it started with identifying whatever is in here mm-hmm. is of highest value. And, and it, at first it went like, I don't care what the Bible says. And then it was like, I don't care what your laws say. Mm-hmm. And now it's even like, I don't care what science or the culture, I don't care what any of that says. Mm-hmm. I self-identify as what I want to because I am ultimate. Mm-hmm. And Jude is going, watch out. Mm. Years ago, I read a book by a guy named Max Stiles, and it's called uh, Marks of the Messenger. And he says in his book, and he could be quoting somebody else, but he says, and this always stuck with me, that it takes four generations for a people to lose a value system. Okay? And so he he may or maybe I added this in later. It's been years since I read the book. But let's just take the, the idea of divorce. I'm offering no commentary on divorce. I'm just using it as an example of something that in the 40s and 50s, divorce was very, very small percentage. And a lot of that was rooted around even possibly some bad teaching or or overly harsh teaching, but was rooted in what the Bible teaches on divorce. And if you can make marriage work, do your best to make it work, right? There was a value system around divorce, right? And so fast forward four generations, five generations if you teach on divorce, according to the scriptures today, it's a tough thing to step into because it has just been completely divorced, for lack of a, the scriptures and the practice have just been. You see what I'm saying? Like we have lost a, a, a value system around marriage, and that has devastating implications across all different fronts in in culture, but it took four generations. So he says the first generation accepts a truth. Mm-hmm. Put whatever you want there. First generation accepts a truth. Second generation assumes. So the first accepts, the second assumes. So my parents, so the first is, we believe this in our core. Mm-hmm. The second is, our parents believe that, and that's all right. It's cool. Yeah, we assume it so we don't contend for it. Yeah, we assume it. The third confuses it, which is, mm, right. it, is that, did God actually say, is that actually true? It doesn't feel like that lines up with the way, the way of the world or the way I want to live. And then by the time it gets to the fourth generation, it's lost. So accepts, assumes, confuses, loses. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's so important to contend for the gospel, look, I don't know, maybe I'll write a book one day, but I just sitting here thinking about it for the first time ever, I could go through from the 50s to 2020, the nature of how the local church and the gathering of the believers has changed and how we practice it and make, a, make what I think is a, a, a reasonable argument around how the gospel got lost from the local church in North America over four generations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And now now we have a lot of people gathering in the name of Jesus, but I'm not sure that you, you could find the gospel in some of it or a lot of it. Not to be overly harsh or overly judgmental, but... No, we talked about that last week, about false teachers coming into the church. One of the techniques of the... Progressive Christians, if there is such a thing, I'll just go on record. I do not believe that progressive Christians are Christians. They've like made up their own thing. They have not submitted to the Word of God. But one of the things that, and you talked about this, that Jude does is the progressive Christians will try to put the apostles at odds with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The scriptures never, ever do that. Peter doesn't do that. Jude doesn't do it. 
He says that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the black letters and the red letters are all God's letters. It's not like one is inspired mm-hmm. and one is not. Mm-hmm. And, and you get to those kinds of things when people try to do that. Mm. Yeah. Well, you speak about like him repeating beloved. He repeats it really close together in this last section of the book. And let's get into some of this practical stuff that he, he, he goes after. Building ourselves up in our most holy faith. So he says, we have a responsibility to do that. We play a role in that building up. So what do you do? What do you guys do personally? He gives a couple examples of of how praying, keeping ourselves in God's love. We'll get into more of that too. But what do you do personally to, to do that? What do you per- personally do to build yourself up in faith? I think a distinction here that's important because here he's talking about sanctification, not justification, mm-hmm. that we are justified by faith. There's nothing you that's can do good. about it. It's a gift of God. He mm-hmm. bought you. He redeemed you. All right. You have been saved the moment by faith you trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that faith, you can't even brag about it because it was a gift. Mm-hmm. Comma. And you are being saved. The word is sanctification. Mm-hmm. Made holy. And there is a whole bunch of effort on your part as you partner with the Spirit of God in you under the authority of the Word of God mm-hmm. to train like a sh- soldier, to fight like an athlete, to work like a farmer mm-hmm. for the thing that God wants to grow in you. You cannot mm-hmm. do it without Him. And this is Second Timothy stuff where mm-hmm. I think the reason he uses those three examples is because a soldier by himself is nothing. An athlete can only train with what God has given him. And for sure, a farmer, if, the, if, if God don't make the crops grow, I don't care how hard you work, you can't mm-hmm. make it grow, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the, but there's this partnership where you go to work. Mm-hmm. Like you, it's grace-fueled effort mm-hmm. for the sake of your being built up in him. So there's a bunch of stuff that I do that requires effort on my part that God partners with me to draw me closer mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. People love to make fun of it. Everybody knows I go in the woods and hunt, and I think people think that's cool. And the silly one that people like to make fun of me of for, and I don't care. As I'm telling you, I know it sounds silly, but these birdhouses in my backyard, it doesn't make it's silly, right? But like, it's a big cup of coffee. It's a big old study Bible. It's my. You mentioned that Jude or none of the books of the Bible have like they're not even books or letters, chapter and verse. I've been this year. I've been listening to the Word instead of reading it with my eyeballs because. What'll happen to me is I'll get a, I'll hit a word. I have to, I like stop and think, oh, how could I teach that? And Mm so in the, in the early church, the, the letter was just read to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm just having the word read over me. So I go sit in my backyard, watch the birds, hit play on my Bible reading app and it reads it to me. And then when that's over, I play some worship music and, and it just, it does that thing. It stirs Mm -hmm. my affections Mm -hmm. for the Lord. Because just like you say, you contend for things that you have a heart's affection for, Mm -hmm. that you love. And that doesn't happen by accident. So like you contend for your marriage, right? You put yourself in environments where you stir your affections for your Mm -hmm. spouse. Same kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. one of them is a place, a time, an environment that kind of does this thing for me. Before you answer, do do you think that there's confusion amongst folks who are salvation by grace alone on the effort thing that you just said. Yeah. And, I, and how, can you, how can you clear up some of that confusion? Because I do, I do think that there is. Yeah, yeah there totally is. Um, well, we have such a transactional view of salvation, mm-hmm. and the Bible's view of salvation is uh, really multifaceted. Right, I mean, right, right. Pastor Britt and I kind of talk about this a lot, that when the Bible talks about being saved, it, it talks about you— have been saved through justification. You are being saved through sanctification, and one day you will be saved in glorification. And it's you've been saved from the penalty of sin. You're being saved from the power of sin, and one day you'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And so, when you have a like a Romans eight view of what mm-hmm. the, your full salvation is, then you begin to understand the part that you play in you growing and the part that you play and being on mission Mm -hmm. for other people's salvation. Yeah. That we are saved not by works, but by grace, but we are 
we are a good work of God, and we are saved to good works That's of right. God. That's Ephesians That's right. 2. There's a, I forget who wrote it, but there's a difference between merit and effort. Mm. So we're not trying to merit something that God would accept us for, but we do have to produce. It's Dallas effort. Willard. Effort. Yeah. That's grace-driven effort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dallas well, Willard has some state, some yeah. comment around merit and effort. I'm going to mess it up, but it's that. It's uh, we are, uh, I can't, even, but we'll, you can put it on your Twitter <laughs> when you find it. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Pastor Britt? What, what do you do to keep yourself, uh, build to build yourself up in your faith? Yes, great question. Uh, in in I would say in no certain order after the first one. Mm. Uh, one of the ways that I grow my affections for Jesus is, and this is going to sound, I don't know how it's going to sound. One of the ways my I partner with the Spirit of God in growing my, my affections is through my finances. Mm. No question about it. Uh, the way I was raised in the church, the discipleship model that I was given was very much alike. Pray the sinner's prayer, get baptized, mm. learn how to pray, read your Bible, share your faith and what you're supposed to do in church, right? So mm. do these things. And then at some point, you'll become spiritually mature. And at that point, you'll start tithing. Mm. I, I did tithing in quotation marks, which I'm not against tithing. I'm just, that's the way I was taught. And... The more I've dug into the scriptures and been discipled as a part of this church and really wrestled into the realities of first fruits, giving and generosity and first fruits, um, obedience, because it's not just about how much money's going here or there or the other. It really is about the posture of my heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there, and he is specifically talking about monetary finances. Mm-hmm. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I learned that backward. Mm-hmm. I taught it to myself backward, I guess. You know, I read what I wanted to read, but I thought for years it was like where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Meaning, the way I interpreted that was get involved and give yourself some things. And once you've kind of figured out if that's the right place for your heart to connect, then you can be supportive in your finances. That is not what Jesus says. Jesus says, wherever you put your money, your heart's going with that thing. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that to be true, and it plays out in a thousand different. But that being the first thing that I, I, I look at in, in my life in regards to alignment and partnership is, I don't just say this because I'm a pastor here or a pastor in any church. It has significantly changed my life. Mm. And so that is certainly first. Um, and it's a joy-filled, gratitude-filled thing. So that, that, that's the, with, the, with that part of the 1010 life and the commitment cards and all the things we've talked about over the last handful of weeks, like having seen God's faithfulness in it, having seen how God blesses first fruit giving, having seen the fact that he takes that glorifies himself through it, changes eternities and lives. Mm. Praise God for all that. I know this, what happens in here, I'd do it for that alone if I never got to count the fruit. Mm. I would just do it for that alone. So that's a huge part in 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 my life. The, secondly is my family. Like, and family and Sabbath and schedule, those things all work together. Mm. So I would put it all under the banner of like the, t- the prioritization of time. Mm. Um, one, being with my family, being with my wife is very fueling for me emotionally, mentally. We have our moments for sure, but it's very fueling for me. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it, it, I am reminded of God's love for me regularly through, through my family. So the, the building up my faith is a we thing. Mm-hmm. It's not just a me thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about me getting along with Jesus which I'm pro that, and you need to do that. Jesus did that. He spent go and spend time alone with the Father, like you were talking about. You should do that regularly. Um, but the we of my family, like some of my most um, enjoyable moments with the Lord in the midst is in the car with my kid riding back from a practice. And I'll put on like an old DC Talk record. <laughs> From the stuff that I used to listen to when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. my kids listening to it. And 
it just is like this fun, God-centered, God-honoring conversation that's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. So that's really good stuff. So that's the being aware of the environment of I, I'm in and trying to like mm-hmm. be aware of God's presence in it with my kids uh, and my family. Um, you know, anytime I get to look my wife eyeball to eyeball and have meaningful conversation, those those are practices for sure. Like Pastor Joby said, the scriptures, look, man, the, the, this is what we got. Spirit of God for sure, mm-hmm. revealed himself through creation for sure. But this right here, this is the... This is it it's in regards thing. knowing how knowing who and how and what God's mm-hmm. like and how he's about. Mm-hmm. So the scriptures for sure. Um, and then prayer, man, like intentional, like we talk about in the sermon. Uh, he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That means many things, but it certainly never means anything less than praying faithfully. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is faithful. Mm-hmm. He's faithful to Christ. He is faithful to the Father. He is faithful to himself, the triune God, as a part of the triune God. He's faithful to us to always remind us of the power of exalting Christ in our life. He's just all day, every day, calling out to mm-hmm. the Son, Jesus, within us. And so praying faithfully. And mm-hmm. on my part, that's an intentional choice. Uh, I do a decent amount of walking and praying, and uh, that's, that's become a really rich time, just walking with the Lord. I don't know, um, a guy named Mark Buchanan wrote a book called God Walk. Mm-hmm. And he says that every, I don't, he says that every world religion has like a posture. So some it's like bowing to the East. Some it's like, a, there's a different posture that is associated with different. Mm-hmm. He says Christianity in, in New Testament, church age Christianity, it's walking. Is that, that is the act, the act, the post, the action that God gave us by which to that we walk with Him, like follow me, follow mm-hmm. me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I don't know how much water that holds, but it seems reasonable to me. Your neighbors just think you're just practicing for being old. Yeah, <clears throat> just walking around the neighborhood. But what's funny is what started the whole walking thing is getting ready for golf trips. When I'm going to be walking and walking and walking. Oh yeah. And um, because you go to my, those fancy places where you walk, you yeah, don't have a cart. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But my tendency is to not do that. My tendency is to like, you know, sit down and turn the TV on. Mm. That's where I would go, just left to my own devices. Mm-hmm. But God gave me this little bitty like earthly thing that I care a lot about, which is silly, which is golf. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know what I mean. And but that's then, a good example of taking a thing. Like, how do you, you know, like we talked about in the One Initiative. Um, that when we see God as a chad, as one, not just like number one on our list, but the page on which we would write the list, then mm-hmm. how do you take these silly little hobby desires and then and then lift them up as sacrifice to God, right? Mm. So I've been able to do that with hunting. That one's easy because you're just sitting there for a long time. It's basically an armed quiet time, right? So you got your Bible and you're just kind of sitting there. Mm-hmm. But with things like that, yeah, man, like turning your rounds and walking into a prayer walk. Mm. Binky, I'll give you one more that was missing in my life a few years ago that I realized, and that was that would be personal disciple making. Mm. And I think, like, uh, it, it, I could rationalize in my own mind while why I'm making so many disciples. Right. You know, I mean, I preach to tens of thousands of people a week. You know, write books, like podcast, all the things. Mm-hmm. But as I looked around my immediate sphere, I wasn't per- personally discipling people, mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. And so I just changed it. I picked three guys on our staff. He's one of them. And when you make disciples, it's not you, you don't only disciple like the young, like the brand new Christians, mm-hmm. but no matter how old you are or how mature you are in your faith, we if you ever stop taking steps, you're no longer following. So he's one of them. It's a, a, a guy from our worship team who's like a like discipling a butterfly, you know, but that guy loves the scriptures like crazy. And a young guy from our student ministry. We just do a Bible study in my office. You know, it's not even once a week. It's just as often as my schedule allows. Mm -hmm. But it's so that I didn't get away from the personal Mm -hmm. discipleship game, you Mm -hmm. know? And then there's a couple of men in our church, younger, I say younger, they're like late 20s and early 30s guys that I just more holistically disciple, like in in their marriage and as dads and Mm -hmm. in their careers and that kind of thing. Mm And somehow over time, I had slipped away from that and it had only become corporate for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I convicted myself in one of my own sermons about <laughs> that, you know, yeah. the, the deep, the, 
if you want to grow deeper in your relationship with mm-hmm. Jesus, get real serious about helping other people discover theirs. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? That doesn't just apply to yeah. like my day job. It ought yeah. to apply to just my own personal life. Yeah. So one of the greatest ways to build ourselves up in in the holy faith is to help other people mm-hmm. know that faith. Mm. Um, it reminds me that I did this project one time in, in school uh, and I read this book, this lady that did research about the things that you say and how they form your beliefs. And it was all about like the power of speaking out your testimony. Mm. And so if you're not, if you're only thinking about discipling other people or you're only assuming you're doing it, but you're not actually saying it, you know, you're missing out on some of the benefits of that, that reinforcement that can happen internally. I thought it was super interesting. Real quick as an aside, what's the difference between feeling, like building yourself up in faith, spurring on some kind of feeling in yourself versus building up your faith? Because some people might be listening and hear, if I don't feel a strong sense of faith, then I must be doing something wrong, or I should feel that warm, fuzzy thing, and and that's the thing I'm looking for. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. Who tells you? The Bible talks about seasons. Yeah. I mean, the primary illustration used in regards to your spiritual maturity is that of, it's a organic gardening, farming kind of illustration. And there are seasons of planting, seasons of growing, seasons of harvest. Mm-hmm. So it's not always harvest season. Right. And it's a relationship. And just like any relationship you have, sometimes it feels super close and sometimes it feels a bit dif- distant. And mm-hmm. so it, it's a constant work. But if there are never seasons of exultation, mm-hmm. which means a feeling of victory, mm-hmm. then there's a problem. Something's off there. Right. So you're not chasing a feeling, but you know the Psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, mm-hmm. which is kind of... It's a totally circular thing because then the desire of your heart is to delight yourself in him. And mm-hmm. the more you delight yourself in him, he gives you what you want because what you want is more of him. Right. Well, right before that, he says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then delight yourself. It, it doesn't say and then. It says, dwell in the land, feed on your faithfulness, delight yourself in the, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're not in the land feeding on his faithfulness, right. you can't delight in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. You talked about that in the sermon about the difference between subjective and objective the, the truth of being in God's love, that it's both, right? Well, that's that's my answer to your question is, how do you build up your most holy faith? How do you know you're building up the most holy faith, not mm. just your most happy feelings? Is Which, by the way, biblically, holy and happy are the same. Like, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For holiness, the best definition of holiness I've ever heard is happy in God. Mm. Forever. Forever. Mm-hmm. That what holiness is is me being totally content, totally satisfied, mm-hmm. totally at peace with, and happy in God in His way, knowing that it's just better, and that also being my life experience. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so for all of eternity. So uh, He says, building your most holy faith. He says, do a couple of things. We've talked around them, but one in the, in the sermon we talk about this: keep yourself in the love of God, mm-hmm. not the love of. Stuff, not the love of yourself for yourself, not right. the love of your, keep yourself in the love of God. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say keep doing things to keep being loved by God. He says, keep being saturated, soaked in, centered on the fact, the objective fact that God loves you mm-hmm. and has proven his love for you through the life, death, resurrection. And then he gets into, and, and also in the return of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. So keep mm-hmm. yourself in the love of God. I mean, I think in that one, I think this is corporate worship is such a big deal in keeping yourself in the love of God. For sure. In those seasons, mm-hmm. when you're like, all right, I'm not feeling it, or I have doubts, or mm-hmm. why did, whatever, man. And you don't give up on gathering with the saints and you get together with other believers. And, right. you know, maybe maybe I'm in a dry season and you're in a fruitful season, one of the things that ought to help me is to look over at you and be like, all right, I don't get it right now, but mm-hmm. he seems to be getting it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to just kind of yeah. still trust that I could be in this season again. It matters when we all get together. Yeah. You see the evidence of God's work in somebody else's Correct. life, and that does build up your faith. Correct. Um, so you a list. Keep, keep yourself in the love of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit to the spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 8. Uh, when we, sitting down and committing yourself to prayer mm-hmm. and having the cognition 
to be aware that the things that pop into your mind in those moments are not prop, are not necessarily just thoughts you're making up. That when mm-hmm. you don't know what to pray, Romans 8 tells us the Spirit will give you the words. Right. And the more you pray according to the Scriptures, the, the more fruitful and faithful your experience is in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, using the Lord's Prayer and some of the different things we mentioned in the sermon in regards to tools to help a vibrant, healthy prayer mm-hmm. life. Um, praying, just praying in the Holy Spirit, which at minimum means regularly and intentionally and faith, you know, faithfully. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that Jude says is we're w- waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the second return of Jesus. Yeah. And we can't talk about that enough. We can't overemphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. Jesus is coming back. And what we see through a glass dimly, we will then see face to face. And there are many, many, many very loud, very exciting, great and terrible things that come as the reality of Christ's second coming. That's right. and, um, and, and so we are waiting for heaven. That is what we're doing. Mm. While we're waiting, we have work to do. We get to join the God in his work of redeeming all things. We That compels us. And so the, to your point, other, about making disciples, that the reality of the return of Jesus Christ and the reality of eternal realities like heaven and like hell that are biblical facts, these are real things that are really going to last forever, that it compels us uh, the second coming of Christ, the love of God, the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit in our life, it compels us um, to be on mission as God's love. Mm-hmm. It's the eternal life of 1010 life that we are primarily concerned with eternities. Mm-hmm. And that Jesus says that the eternal realities that he cares, you know, when this all these external things are the reality of the outworking of internal mm-hmm. works of grace that grow themselves through humanity instead of evil manifest and sin manifest, right? And so um, anyway, so he says, keep yourself the love of God, pray faithfully, wait intentionally mm-hmm. and aware of the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus. And then in doing this, you will, you will live on mission. Right. And living on mission is have mercy on those who doubt, mm-hmm. save those... Save others by snatching them out of the fire. I love that line. I do too, man. Snatching them out of the fire. Yeah. When I used to teach the high school and middle school students, I would give them the picture of the the rich man that died and goes to hell, right? And uh, and I was like, if I could just get you on a bus and drive you to heaven and drive you to hell, mm-hmm. and for just an instant, you got a glimpse of what heaven is, mm. is. And then you got a glimpse, I mean, for a quarter of a second, Mm-hmm. Of the agony of hell, and your mama wasn't saved, you would run home right now tonight, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, "I don't care about homework. I don't care about anything. Else. All I care about is making sure you don't go there, and you do go there." Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, you talk about growing up in a church where soul winning was like a big deal, mm-hmm. and so, uh, you know, I've shared this Irish proverb that I heard with you guys that like for every mile of road, there's two mile of ditch, and so. If we grew up in an era in a denomination that was only concerned about where your soul ended up in eternity and today didn't matter at all, I think the modern church has fallen in the other ditch mm-hmm. where all we, we we downplay eternity. Mm-hmm. Like eternal life doesn't it's not just up there in heaven in the sweet by and by, but it's heaven on earth mm-hmm. now. Okay. But you don't have to either or those. Right. It's because eternity matters more than anything else. Therefore, mm-hmm. We fight for justice here. We share the gospel like crazy. We make disciples. I yeah. thought of songs when you were talking about that because it seems like there has been a pendulum swing because back in the day, it was all about the sweet by and by and yeah. crossing the river and the golden streets and all that. And then it's really swung the other way and it's all about my experience and his his comforting nearness to me and how great it is. And there needs to be that correction to keep our eyes fixed on it because of all, all the things that it does for us. Uh, when he talks about having mercy on those who doubt, snatching from the fire, but then also hating the garment stained by the flesh, hating with fear or doing it with doing, 
this merciful ministry with fear, uh, that strikes me as that as that contrast. You know, it's t- we say a lot, we're a movement for all people. And so we want to be a place that shows mercy to those who are doubting or struggling. We want to be a place, certainly, that snatches people from the fire. But then there's also this hatred of a garment stained by the flesh, which is an extreme statement. How do you balance those two things of that openness and mercy and that hatred of sin? Yeah, I think it's that love for the people. Like you're you're beloved, and because you know what it is to be loved, therefore you love. See, basically all of First John, mm-hmm. and it's that love, that God driven love for others that causes you to hate the thing that is trying to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, man, I get this beard stuff from this. I don't even know what beard struggle. Okay. And apparently somebody in the company has fought cancer because mm. they give you this bumper sticker and it says the F word cancer. So I'm not okay. going to put that on my truck, right. but I get it. Like these people, if, if like that's the feeling you have against mm-hmm. cancer right. because of what it is doing to your beloved. For sure. You have this hate. Okay. The people of God should be so compelled by the love of Christ in their life mm-hmm. that drives our love for one mm-hmm. another that you hate the sin that is killing the people that you love right. like you hate the enemy himself. Mm-hmm. And so you don't put up with it. You don't try to tame it. You don't overlook mm-hmm. it. You go to war against it mm-hmm. and you hate it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's, I think it's two, two sides of the same coin there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the, the, starting with me, my, the more gospel-centered I become, the more aware and deepened in the love of God in my life, and that is the soil where the garden of all good God-honoring fruit grows unto eternal life, the more I love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. God hates sin, and he hates it so much that he had his own son murdered so that it could be forgiven and he could have what's his at great cost to himself. And so I hate the things that he hates and I love the things that he loves. And so there's an increasing awareness of my own sinfulness, what it cost for that sin to be forgiven, mm. whom it cost. You know, that's the nature of the forgiveness of sins and the reality of sin is a wage, that sin comes with wages, mm-hmm. is that sin is not measured me against you only, that what makes sin so devastating in its manifestation and in its cost is that is not the, necessarily even the sin that I committed. It's whom I'm sinning against. Right. That whom I'm sinning against is the infinite God of the universe, mm-hmm. of all universes, of anything that ever is or will be. He's the God. He is God. And he has only loved you, and he has only been good to you always. And he has he only been faithful. ultimately demonstrated it by laying down his life for you. A hundred percent. And so that that is the cosmic implications of what we're talking about are just so unbelievable, man. And it is very easy for me to go many, many, many days and weeks and months and not take that captive mm-hmm. and just get into like, well, I'm going to struggle. Or, yeah, God's good. Mm. Yeah, that's something I've, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> a language shift I've noticed in the past couple decades mm-hmm. is uh, Christians don't sin anymore. They just struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a lot of like, hey, you know what I'm struggling with? And I get what your, people are saying, and I want to say that too, instead of just saying, I'm sinning. Mm-hmm. And it's right. like saying God loves without ever saying God saves. Yeah. Like God loves you. Mm-hmm. He also saves you. Right, because he loves you, yeah. but him loving you and him saving you are not identically the same thing. Correct. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's struggling, and so anyway, the words matter a lot. A lot. Yeah. So anyway, the, those are the, the we've been talking for a long time now, but the um, Jude's packed. It's packed, and especially packed. these these last two verses are packed. Let's get to this just for a minute. This the Jude's doxology. Oh man, I mean it is. I mean, you want to talk about some of the most power-packed two verses in the entire New Testament. It, it doesn't get much better than this. And he, he lays out 
in an act of praise to God, lays out in some incredible promises. Um, do you want to just... Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now to him, this mm-hmm. is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. You're never gonna fall out of God's love. You're never gonna fall out of God's hand. You're never gonna fall out of God. You're never gonna stumble your way out of right relationship with God, not because of you, because Jesus is able. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the uh, missteps we make as Christians is we just give ourselves over to stumbling and sin way too easy. Right. There are multiple verses that talk about for some sustained periods of time, by the grace of God, that sin would not be a part of our life. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we too quickly go to, mm-hmm. well, I know I'm gonna screw up and I know I'm gonna fail. And I, you know, too quickly. I mean, Psalm 119 says that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Mm-hmm. So you might not. Mm-hmm. So don't just automatically give yourself over mm-hmm. to the sin in your life, yeah. but know that he is able to keep you at least for an hour, and right. if an hour, why not two? Right. And if two, why not a day? You know, it's like Paul says: you haven't resisted yet to shed in your blood. Right? What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. you know, it's all internal, and it's no by no accident that the word "keep" shows up there. He is able to keep you because you remember last week mm-hmm. in the very he said, "You are kept right. for Jesus Christ." This mm-hmm. is the security of your keeping: yeah. is that it doesn't terminate on you; right. that it is for Christ; that He keeps you, and then He presents you. Right. On judgment day and in every other environment possible, he presents you to the Father as blameless. Mm -hmm. Joyfully. And it is his joy to Mm -hmm. do so. Right. And your joy is all wrapped up in his joy. Right. Doesn't this remind you of the verse, and for the joy set before him and he endured the cross. And the only thing that he... um, did not existentially have before the cross was the people that he saved. That's right. Now you can you could take that to idolatry, but mm-hmm. it ought to at least mean what it says mm-hmm. that he finds such joy in loving us for his glory because mm-hmm. he is love, and because for the joy for you set before him, mm-hmm. he endured the cross, and then here again is presenting us with great joy. Mm-hmm. Not like, I had to go sacrifice my life for them, but with great joy. That's what motivated him was the will of the Father, his own glory. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that he is love and to pour out his love for us mm-hmm. is an expression of mm-hmm. who he is. And that expression of who he is, is joy. Mm. And how often do you, maybe it's just me, but I don't often think about the power of God leveraged towards me, that word able to me just jumps off the page. He's able. And so we talk about God being so powerful, you know, he holds it all in his hands and he hung the stars and everything. And he's, he's powerful, he's victorious. But what this points out is that that power is leveraged in my behalf to keep me. And how much, what does that do for your struggle against sin, for your contention of the faith when you find out that it's actually his ability, his power, not just your power, because right. your power's weak, my power's weak. I remember the first time that smacked me across the forehead when I was like, I just can't, I can't be holy. And then I re- I don't remember where, I think it was Galatians. It was just like, it's his power, not yours. Right. And it was just like, it was like this huge weight was lifted. It's, a, it's incredible. I mean, in my notes, it's where after that verse, now to him who is able to keep you stumbling, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes, he's about to ascribe a bunch of things to Jesus. Mm-hmm. After that uh, verse about presenting you blameless, all I could write was, my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, my, with, my. I'm with him. Yeah, That's mm-hmm. all I got, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, so, and then he goes on to write some of the most beautiful words he says to jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time now and Mm. forever and in the devotional the 40-day devotional my favorite days are the ones toward the end Mm -hmm. when we get into 
be glory, be majesty, be mm-hmm. dominion and authority. Like we just take mm-hmm. those words and look at them. And so mm-hmm. those are my favorite days. Yeah. It feels sometimes like even in the, in the guts of it, it feels a little laborious, but you're working towards something, mm-hmm. which is the treasure that is the person mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. you know? So what are some, maybe we'll end here. What are some, things that come to mind for both of you guys when you think about how this affects you. So he's, he's talking about the power of God that keeps us from sinning and stumbling, keeping our eyes fixed on the day that we're going to be presented blameless before him. And then just this incredible description of the character of God, like his majesty, his authority. What, what does that do practically for you to have all those things in front of your mind? as we're talking about being kept and being contending for the faith. So the Bible does a great job always of like, uh, you see this particularly in Romans, like Paul is going to mm-hmm. pre-answer all of your wrong thoughts that you may have. Or right. <clears throat> so you get to the great joy stuff and you could have a tendency to think a little too highly of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. right. Well, hey, I, I'm the joy set before him, so I'm a big right. deal. And so he's going to remind us that it is not in us, just like you said. So he's going to end with this, it ain't about you, it's all about the glory, mm-hmm. majesty, dominion of God. And I think the way verse 25 lands on me, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, to the only God. Because oftentimes when I'm looking for my own glory and my own majesty and my own dominion and my own authority, it is because I've set my affections on some false God. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's ultimately what the whole letter of Jude is about is yeah. fight against that, contend for the mm-hmm. gospel of the only right. God. And so when I idolize anything, and it's mm-hmm. often a good thing, like the ministry or my wife or my kids or a friendship, all good gifts of God. Mm -hmm. And then I elevate that as if it is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. When I idolize that thing or particularly a person, when they let me down, which they can only do, Mm -hmm. then I will demonize the very thing that earlier Mm -hmm. I heaped God's status upon Mm -hmm. and they couldn't handle the weight that I put on them. Mm And they are not the only God. Mm-hmm. And so it's a constant reminder to me. It's like this sandwich of like, gosh, I love you so much that mm-hmm. I would die for you. The other, like the other bread of the sandwich is, but this ain't all about you. It's, to, it's only mm-hmm. to the glory of God. And then, and then like the meat in the middle is that there's one true God, it ain't you. Mm-hmm. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ by which you know this one true God. Mm-hmm that you will experience the joy, the faith that you are contending for. Right. Mm. I can't say it better than that. And so I join Jude in the last word, which is amen. Mm. And the answer to your question is when Scripture paints these very high, powerful, vivid descriptions of Mm -hmm. the reality Jesus' reality, mm-hmm. I say, amen. Mm. And I, I, which I agree. And anywhere I don't, I want to get lined up around that yeah, and, um, and around him. So, amen. It makes me think of recently there was a, a baptism testimony where this girl was saying, I've lost friends, I've lost family. Mm. And she says, but I know the truth. Mm. And that line just hit me <clears throat> real hard. He also, what I was talking about earlier, man, when I, you know, there's too many people that want to like dissect mm-hmm. heaven on earth or the sweet by and by. Mm-hmm. He does it. Right. He goes, now, like when I read this, I think you shouldn't, you shouldn't read this inside. <laughs> I don't think you should breathe air conditioned air and read the doxology of Jude. I think like, here's a good homework assignment. On the next clear, starry night, get, you're going to have to, either you need a little light for your paper Bible or you can use your phone or whatever. And look at the stars and think about the grandness of God mm-hmm. and read it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then think, so that that is supposed to be available to us now and forever. Mm-hmm. Not or. Mm. But it's like you were saying before, the more fixed you are on the magnificence of mm-hmm. God forever, mm-hmm. the more it would fuel you to live for him as the one and only God mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So now and forever let it be so. Mm.
is what I mean. Amen. Well, I want to thank you, Pastor Britt, for all your study and sharing it with us through the Devo and through the, the series. It's been great to dive in even more through these conversations. Would you pray for us to close this time out? I will. Yeah, and I'll just say it again. Thank you to Pastor Joby for inviting me to do this. And uh, I never, hopefully never take it for granted or as deserved when God allows for me to stand in front of our church that he's made you the pastor of and that you share that responsibility with me or any of our other teaching pastors. But thanks for the opportunity to do this. I love Jude and and hopefully it's blessed our church and blessed us in the process. So oh, for sure, thank man. you. Thanks for being faithful. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.